0: Mark and Sherry are such dear friends. Great to be with you guys. It really is. You gave me a nice warm welcome here. You know, where I live up in Hayward, um, Wisconsin, it's it's just as far north as you guys are. We're just a little bit west of you. So I actually brought my lumberjack boots and I brought my Hayward winter coat. I have never worn my lumberjack boots through an airport before until yesterday. and, uh, I, when I I had a report about what was coming, and and, I, and they said you better you better be prepared. And but I'm glad you're here. One one time, um, uh, it was Easter. On Easter weekend at our church, we had a blizzard just like this. A, a Easter weekend, that was crummy. I mean, we had an outdoor children's Easter egg hunt. I mean. So those kids were just plowing through the snow and stuff, but they were like multicolored Easter eggs. It was easy to find them. I mean, there they were. I said, next year, we hide white eggs and see what happens. <laughs> and then on Easter Sunday morning, what happened, um, uh, a soloist got up right at the very beginning. I mean, we had, we had barely made our way. Only people with four-wheel drives and stuff were able to make it to Easter Sunday morning. And the soloist gets up front and she sings this song to start the service was it a morning like this when Jesus rose from the grave? <laughs> I thought, no, I don't think it was a morning like this. It wasn't. You know, Jesus comes forth and, oh, oh, oh. It wasn't a morning like that at all. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but, you know, I praise the Lord. We can live into it. In fact, just this year, after 24 years of moaning and groaning and everything about the winter, um, Kathy and I made a decision that we are going to embrace the winter. Like, we're not gonna just shrink back from it and wish it wasn't there and this stuff. We're gonna, we're gonna embrace the winter. And I remember the day we made that commitment. We started making a list of things together, of things we love about winter. At first, it was a very short list. But, but, but the more you think about it and reflect on it and you start to embrace it, there's a big, long list. You know what we did after that? We went outside and we made snow angels. <laughs> I mean, we're 53 years old, making snow angels. Woo! It was fun. So, so bring it on, baby, bring it on. And hey, if I'm stuck up here in Sussex for the next month or so, well, hey, I'm just with you guys, right? So we're gonna be all right. Well, this is uh, Holiness Advancement Week, or Infuse. And, and Jesus is the greatest treasure that the world has ever seen. And and that's what holiness is, is treasuring the treasure. That that He's the greatest treasure. There's nothing on this earth like him. Nothing. Nothing. No one. He's everything. He's our all. And so we treasure him back through through worship. Through holiness in our life, and through joining Him in His mission, and so over our series together it was the next few days, we're, a couple of days, we're going to be looking at that about worship and holiness, and then joining Jesus in His mission in this world. So this morning I want to talk about worship, and it, my, my my passage that I'm digging out from is uh, First Corinthians, oh, I'm sorry, First Chronicles, chapter sixteen. First Chronicles 16. We're not going to put the words on the screen. I'm thinking a lot of you have Bibles and stuff, and if you don't, you can just have to trust me that I'm telling you the truth, all right? And the setting of this deal is that Israel had been through a dark valley. They'd been through a lukewarm time where they were just going through the motions. And by the way, we all are in those valleys from time to time. There are spiritual dry spells for everybody. And there are times where it feels like God's really close and he's right there. And then there are other times where it feels like he's distanced. And we're saying, where are you, Lord? Where are you? And sometimes uh, it's just circumstances of life that cause that. And other times it's because of stuff that's going on inside of us. That's our sin that causes that. And that's what happened to the the children of, of God. It was their sin that they distanced themselves from him. And instead of making God a priority and first front and center in their lives, they kind of put him off on the shelf. And he went into the back closet, if you will. In fact, the Ark of the Covenant that represented the the presence and the provision and the promise of God, the Ark of the Covenant was shelved away. It was put away. And they didn't seek from the Lord during the reign of Saul. But then there was a new king, the anointed king. That That was David. And David really wasn't qualified to be a king. In fact, God doesn't ever, you know, call the qualified. He, he qualifies the called. And if you feel inadequate or inferior in your ministry and think, well, how could I possibly be a pastor? Well, if you have that attitude, great, because maybe you can be used of God. But if you think that you're going to do great and you're perfect and you've got it all together, that, that, that's the one that God will not be able to use because you're too full of yourself. So, so David wasn't full of himself. He was a humble man, young, young guy. And, and God makes him king. And so then when he becomes king, he says, you know what we got to do? We've got to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. Let's bring it back. Let's put it in the forefront, front center, the presence of God. Let's encounter God again. You know, churches can go through that. They can't. There are lots of churches. They haven't experienced God in a long, long time. I mean, if God showed up, they would send him a visitor letter and say, it was nice that you finally showed up because they, they wouldn't believe that he was really, you know, who he is. But see, that's what worship is all about. It's God. So anyway, what happens is they, they bring the Ark of the Covenant back. One of the guys, you know, actually touches it and zap. He falls over it. Kind of like a bug zapper. There he was gone. But there was the power. The power of of God was just so real, so so awesome, and so they made a special place and they bring the ark back, and and David dances before the Lord. He dances without his clothes on. I wouldn't recommend doing that. Don't do that around campus, particularly today or tomorrow. Don't do that. You'll freeze. But 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 he just with everything that he had, he's just. Dancing before God, because it's just total abandonment in worship. And that's setting us up to First Chronicles chapter 16. All right? And we're going to start in the eighth verse. What, what David does um, by the way, he, he brings everybody together and he says, "You guys, we're going to worship God, and let's rock out the place as we worship God. He starts appointing different people as musicians and stuff, one to play the loud clanging cymbals. that's pretty cool. Ah, cool. Do it all forgot? It also says, it's kind of interesting, they, they give little cakes and raisins to everybody. Everybody. Everybody gets cakes and raisins. So they're all, they all come in. Wouldn't well, that be cool? A chapel sometime. Everybody gets cakes and raisins. So they all get their cakes and their raisins, and they have their music and all that stuff, and they all are gathered together, and then David gives them his new song that he's written. Oh, what a beautiful song because it captures this idea of treasuring the treasure with a heart of worship and holiness and mission. So 1 Chronicles chapter 16, starting in verse 8. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. And let the hearts of those who seek the Lord Rejoice. Rejoice. You guys ever heard of uh, Frances Havergal? She, she wrote uh, a lot of old hymns, like, Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated Lord to Thee, and just lots of beautiful, deep, deep, deep-rooted hymns. One time, uh, Frances was at a retreat, and there were about 12 people at the retreat. She was writing about it later. She said, half of them were not believers, and the other half were believers, but they weren't rejoicing believers, and so they all needed Jesus. See, if you're a believer and you're not a rejoicing believer, you need Jesus all over again. You really do. Because Jesus is the cause of greatest joy. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And if you are seeking after him, you're going to find yourself rejoicing because you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. Remember the wonders he has done. His miracles and the judgments he pronounced. And then in verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among all the peoples, his marvelous deeds among all nations. Verse 27, the Lord makes the heavens, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And then it goes on, and it talks about, and when you do that, like everything sings. It says, everything sings, like the trees of the forest will clap their hands, and the seas will be making waves unto the Lord. You see, when you have a heart full of worship, all around you, everything's singing. So, like when the snow is blowing outside, you want know to say, and it's just saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. When you have that perspective, you see glory of God everywhere. But here's what happens. We end up getting caught up in the routine and the day-to-day stuff of life. We get all worked up about this and that and the other. We get filled with anxious care. We get all upset about this and that. And, and we just go around. And we don't see the glory of God anywhere because we're so consumed with our junk. So the first thing right off the bat, the way that we get fired up for Jesus is to worship him, to worship the Lord in the beauty or the splendor of his holiness. Now, what's, what is worship? What is worship? Ascribing to the Lord, it says, glory. It, that's what it means. Worship means giving God the glory. It, it means seeing God as he really is. It, it means realizing that God's big enough, that he's big enough. One time, I was tucking my kids to bed and one of my little boys says, Daddy, how big is God? And I said, well, he's big. He said, well, how big is that, Daddy? And I said, well, I mean, super duper big. He says, yeah, but how big, how big is that? And we just kept asking. And I said, well, I don't know. He's just big. You know, he's, he's big enough for anything. That sort of satisfied him that God is big enough for anything. But the very next day, I was in my office, and I had a problem. It was a struggle because we were in a big building program, and the money didn't come in the way it was supposed to, and I was just really fretting and fussing and trying. I was trying to work it out with a pencil, and it wasn't working. And so, I would like to say I was praying about it, but I wasn't. I was just worrying with my eyes closed. And a lot of stuff that people call prayers, is worrying with eyes closed. I was fretting and worrying with my eyes closed. And and nothing was coming together. And there was a knock at my office door. And I opened it up. There was Glenn. Now, Glenn lived about 15 miles or so away. He, he was quite a, quite a distance for us. But I, and I just I saw him. I was surprised to see Glenn. Glenn never came to my office. And there he was that day, an elderly gentleman from the congregation. He says, Pastor, I said this morning, I was having my devotions. And as I was praying, I sensed that God wanted me to come here to the church right now to ask you a question. And I said, well, what is that, Glenn? How big is God? Doo, 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 I know the answer to that question, Glenn, I know the answer, just answered it last night. I mean, he's big, he's super duper big, he's big enough for anything. I mean, he's bigger than this situation that I've been trying to figure out and Lord, use Glenn. to to confront me like a prophet so that I just need to give it all to God, to trust him. Don't worry. Give God the glory. Now, worship is not really giving God his worth, though. Because God's worthy of everything, whether you give it to him or not. It's recognizing his worth. It's recognizing how valuable he is. Like, I used to collect football cards. And there was this bully. His name was Marty And Marty decided that he was gonna have some fun with one of my favorite football cards. It was an O.J. Simpson, the year that O.J. broke the record for rushing. I mean, it was before he became a criminal, a con, and all that stuff. But so, I mean, he was a big hero at that time. And so I had my O.J. Simpson card, brought it with me to church, and Marty says, let me see your O.J. Simpson. So I gave it to him, and he goes, rip, 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 rip. He ripped it into little pieces. Oh, here's your O.J. Simpson back, and I cried. And so Marty's mother, in an act of disciplinary action, made Marty give me all of his football cards. Now, the cool thing about that was that his grandfather had given him football cards. I mean, there was stuff from way back. I mean, like people without even face guards and stuff on their helmets i mean there were not just football cards or baseball cards too i mean i got a treasure trove thank you marty bailey well that was just really cool that he gave me all this stuff and i remember the day he handed it all off to me over here and i opened up whoa what a treasure this is incredible so then i thought well i'm gonna make sure that Everybody knows that these are my cards, so I put a great big mark on every single one of them. Every one of them totally destroyed the value. I had no idea of the value of the cards that I had. In fact, some of them I put on my, my uh, bicycle, so so they go clickety <laughs> clickety. I could have financed all my kids' college education with those cards, but I didn't know how valuable they were. I had no idea. And you have no idea how valuable our Lord is. What a treasure he is you don't give him that value he already is that valuable and what we need to do is enter into his presence and maybe we can just experience a little teeny tiny bit of what his glory is just a little bit of that glory just blows your circuits It blows your mind that's the reason why uh, Moses had to, to like you know be covered up he couldn't, couldn't see the glory of God like oh my goodness if if he saw the full glory of everything i mean he'd just fall over dead but if we could just have a little bit of that glory, ascribe to the Lord His glory and His strength. Worship is worthship; it's giving God the glory that He deserves. But here's another thing: worthship. What it means is is receiving your worth from Him. It's a bridge. It's a two-way bridge that we're the best of our human ability. We say how much he's worth to us. But he gives us all the worth that we need. He speaks it into our hearts. When we encounter Jesus, he pours that worth into us. There's a guy named John Bowlby who wrote about attachment theory. And basically what he says, it's like he's a psychologist, human development kind of stuff. I don't know if you guys studied that or not. But, but um, what, what he says is that like when a little baby is first born, when the, they, they connect with their significant people, like their mother, for instance, or their father, and very significant people in their life, if if that goes really well early on, they're safer and they feel secure more later on in life. And if they don't get that very well early on, then a lot of times they struggle because they need attachment. We're all created for attachment. And if you lose that attachment with that significant person, um, then you're looking for it somewhere. Now, actually, we are created for attachment with the living God. That's really what the ultimate attachment's all about. We're created in God's image, and so that's reflected maybe in a mother's love for a child, but really, ultimately, it's the attachment to the Lord. That's that's what we're created for. And when we don't have that kind of attachment, which all of us have parents that have failed us at some point or another, and we have people that we've wanted to have a connection with, and they've rejected us, and they've turned us away, and maybe they've spoken things into us that make us feel inadequate or inferior, like... When that happens, and we we don't really have that pipeline with the Lord straight on the way that it should, you know what happens? We end up making false attachments. We we turn to other things, and so we end up turning to stuff like like food for 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 comfort, for instance. I I've just seen in the last two or three years the beautiful things God has been doing in my wife Kathy's life. As she said, I began to realize that I was. trying to feed my emotions with food. But really, I ought to be feeding my body with it. It's fuel. That's what a food is. It's fuel for your body. It's not something you're supposed to feed your emotions with. That's what I'm talking about with the attachment. And same thing applies uh, with, with pornography. That's a false attachment. And the intimacy that a person is trying to seek through pornography really that intimacy comes somewhere else completely it it's it's the lord a deep down spiritual wholeness and when that wholeness comes then you don't have to feed your emotions with this other kind of stuff because god gives you your worth he gives you your worth so no matter what somebody said to you Maybe somebody said something a long time ago that that just spoke as a lie into your heart that said stuff about you're not good enough, you're stupid, you're ugly, whatever. Any of that kind of junk. That doesn't matter. What matters is what Jesus says about you and what what our Lord and Savior, oh, he just says the most beautiful things about you because he loves you. He loves you and he reaches out to you. He he loves you so much, he, he, he died for you. So that's what worship is. It's it's worship. It's, it's giving God all the worth that he, 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 we can, you know, because and he's already worthy of all. And we receive our worth from him. In our verse in Chronicles here, it says, worship the Lord in the splendor of, of holiness. The word for worship there means bowing down. Bowing down. Now, there are different words in the Bible for worship. Some of, sometimes it's like meaning reverence or, or, or bowing before. Sometimes it just means work. Isn't that interesting that the word worship and work go together? And there's two kinds of work. There's inner work and then there's outer work. And, and all of that's worship. Sometimes I have to work at it. Like when I'm in a worship service, maybe that's why it's called a worship service, because you've got to work. <laughs> you do service. You serve in this thing. You're serving God. So, like going to worship isn't just about you to get, get fed it's about you giving your heart to God corporate worship then is reminding yourself of how big and great God is and how much you need him and how worthy he is and how he gives you all your worth and, and when you do it corporately what that is is we remind each other of it that's why it's important for us to worship together see so we we all receive this together so anyway with with have, have you ever found like, that sometimes it's hard work in worship service, either to pay attention, for instance, or, or like, let's say that they sing songs you don't like. They say, oh, that's one of those songs. I don't like that one. No, I'm not gonna sing. And so everybody else is doing this. You know, and you're... You know if, if it's really a heart of worship, you know what that means? That means that you're gonna do your best to enter in, even if it's work for you. You enter in. And I don't know if you guys love old hymns or new stuff. I have a hunch you guys probably love the newer stuff more because you're younger. I mean, people in my generation a little bit older than me. We love the old stuff. One thing that I really love, and this is just so beautiful for me, it's that um, you guys, you guys, and the people just a little bit older than you, you've, you've figured it out. So you know what my generation did? We did something really stupid. Uh, we threw away all the old songs, we threw them all away. Those old songs, they made the cut. They made the cut. Every generation has brand new songs. And until my generation came along and messed it up, here's what happened. The generations before us, they kept the ones that made the cut, and then they added their new songs to it. Now we don't know which ones in our generation will make the cut for the next generation. We, that will only be told in the next generation. Like, I, I have a hymnal collection. I love old hymnals. I have a whole bunch of them. I have this one hymnal. It's like from 1904, or something like that. It's like real early 1900s. It says, Songs for Young People. So, you know, I mean, those people are all pushing up daisies now, all those young people. So I'm... I'm I'm reading the, the songs and I don't recognize any of them not one song except for one there, there's one song in there that I recognize this brand new song just been written one of the ones that the old people didn't like very much because it, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't sacred and holy enough uh, what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear that song for young people it's the only one in the book that made the cut and my generation ended up throwing it away and, but I'm really glad that you guys decided to, to bring it back. See, what, what I what I call the songs that made the cut those are china plate songs. And and the songs that we do today we don't know which one's going to be a china plate song. But basically, they're most of them are paper plate songs. Paper plate is great for a picnic, but it's not great for Thanksgiving dinner, right? And so so what you want to do is um, is is embrace the china plates. And use all the paper plates you can. Do it all. But sometimes it's work. But you give it to God because you're bowing down and you're serving him with all your heart. So we sing, sing, sing to the Lord. And we bow to the Lord. And we serve the Lord. That's what worship is. All these three things that I'm going to be talking about here, and and particularly tonight I'm talking about holiness, and then tomorrow I'm talking about mission. But all three of these kind of combined together for me in one experience that I had a few years ago. I, I was asked to speak at a conference in Ethiopia. And the missionary that called me, they asked me to come. He said, um, there will be about 100,000 people at this conference. And, and and we'd like for you to be our speaker. That's 100,000 people. Wow. I've never spoken to 100,000 people. Like even if you cumulatively added them all together, you know. I mean, you know, my little town of Hayward, you know, you to have so many fish in the sea. And, and wow, 100,000. I mean, shoot, that's better than like Joel Osteen. I think I'm going to do that. So I I... I, I I got the ticket and I'm headed off to Ethiopia. And about three days before the conference, I get a phone call from the missionary. He says, Oh, we got a problem, a really big problem. There was a big fight amongst all the leaders of stuff, and they all got upset at each other, and they decided they're canceling the whole thing. So there's no conference after all. You're not speaking to a hundred thousand people. He said, We'll figure out something for you to do. Come, come on over. You get your ticket. I don't know what you're gonna do, but but uh, come on over anyway, boy, my balloon was deflated, but I said, okay, well, I guess I'm going to Africa, so I got on this, the airplane and flew all the way to Addis Ababa, and well, that was an interesting thing, that, you know, when I landed there, there's goats and chickens in the airport, you know, you don't see that in Hayward, well, we don't even have an airport, so I guess uh, you don't see that, and, so the missionary picks me up in his Jeep, and then we took a four-hour journey, you know, like with potholes and stuff like that. And I said, oh, that's familiar. We have those in Hayward. We, we took a little break. Halfway through, there was like a preserve, like a jungle preserve kind of place. And, and he says, if you look at this lake over here, you'll see hippos. Well, I don't see those in Hayward. I've never seen a hippo in Hayward uh, so, but I thought, oh, that would be cool. You know, the only time I've ever seen a hippo was in a zoo. So I thought, oh, this would be great. So I'm looking for the hippo. He says, just look, you you see their snouts are sticking out of the water. And I wasn't quite sure if that was a hippo snout or not. I thought maybe it was. I, I used my imagination. I was thinking maybe it's a hippo snout. And so as I'm I'm looking at the hippo, um, I heard something. It was like Psst. a mosquito bit me. A mosquito. Instantly my mind went into overdrive. I think, oh no, oh no, oh no. Now I took some medicine and stuff ahead of time, but I saw the warnings and stuff on there. It says, be careful about mosquitoes in Ethiopia because they can kill you. I mean, mosquitoes carry disease and malaria and viruses and all that, and I'm like, oh no, oh no. I just got bit by a mosquito as I'm looking for the hippo snout. Now what am I gonna do? I'm gonna die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die in Africa. And, and in my mind, that mosquito just started, boom, boom, boom. That mosquito bite just was growing and exponentially in my imagination. And I'm thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Well, they, they had lost the, the, the conference, but they decided to, um, to, to have, they found things for me to do. And, and I, I saw things um, that just boggled my mind the depth of stuff that I saw. But on Sunday morning, they asked me to speak at their church. And it was a big church. Very simple. But big. hand hewn pews. The guy uh, you're in charge, he says, I'll pick you up at 7.30. I said, well, that's good. I'll, I'll be able to get my microphone checked to make sure my PowerPoint's working and all that. Well, <laughs> it was none of that stuff. But... Um, I thought I was going early, you know, just to, to get the lay of the land. But when I got there, at seven thirty in the morning, the, the church was already full with a thousand people inside on in these hand hewn pews, worshiping and praising God. And outside there were two thousand more people that wanted to get in but they couldn't. There were three thousand people all together. And so I, I I was just blown away by that, and I walked through this sea of people, and many of them just reached out to me, like like it was almost like, I don't know, maybe they'd never seen an American before. I, I I you know I don't know, but it was just very strange to me. So I got up and I preached with my interpreter, you know, and so I'd say my thing, God will move your mountain, and then and then the interpreter goes, hey, oh my and then and then and then. And then the people, it was interesting, it's just really amazing. They just started cheering. Like, yeah. They don't do that in Hayward, you know, whenever I, I, I preach my sermons, they don't do that. And so they just went nuts. And then the ladies, I don't know if this is just a cultural thing in that congregation or that denomination or what, but when 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 they did anything, the women of the church, they went, they all jumped up and they waved their hands like this and they went, Ooh! point it was like that so I'd preach my thing the interpreter would do it everybody cheering going nuts and then the ladies would go, Whoa! I don't see that in Hayward either well I, I got done with that and and I I went over and I sat down there was, there was some seats up front you know and I I sat down next to my interpreter and the choir comes up the choir had these Uh, choir robes they'd been shipped to them from some church in America that had gone contemporary didn't need choir robes anymore so here they were with all these choir robes and they all came across the platform and then the leader he like he sang and then the choir and then all the people and the ladies and They just kept going just like that it was like a three-part thing it was a ritual liturgy it was so beautiful and i, I leaned over to to my my interpreter and i says what are they what are they singing what, what are they saying and he said they're singing your sermon this is how they remember it they're singing your sermon they're singing your first point right now I thought, no way Seriously, they're singing my sermon those guys didn't have that, you know, contemporary old hymn controversy because every single Sunday is a brand new song for them. They just sing the sermon. They were just singing with all their hearts. These dear people, many of them didn't have enough food to make it, you know, their, their struggle. They live in shacks, tiny little things. The, the, the richest or the poorest person here today, you are rich, 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 rich compared to um, the richest one of them. But here they were with all their heart, just worshiping God with everything that they had, with their whole body and their soul and their mind and their strength. They're just with everything worshiping God. And while those dear brothers and sisters were singing my sermon, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, remember when that mosquito bit you? And you thought you're gonna die in Africa? yes Lord well that's exactly what I called you here to do I called you to die to lay it out and die to yourself there had been stuff in my life that I had been holding on to things in the church that I had been trying to manipulate and control And God had to send me all the way to Africa to purge me of that, to get it right, to get it straight. I said, oh God, I'm so sorry. I want what they have. And while they sang my sermon, I just turned around and I knelt. I just knelt right there and I poured out my soul to the Lord. Lord, I die to me. I die to me and I want as much of you as I can possibly get. And help me to be able to worship you wholeheartedly like these guys do, without reservation. That everything that I have, that I want to give it all to you. Oh, and the Lord met me there, right in the front of that church while those dear people were singing. It was just so beautiful. Well, I mean, they went for a long, long time. In fact, uh, it was time, it was about one o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, they were still going strong. And the missionary says, well, we better get you back to the airport. And so uh, I we, we I, I took off. We, I, I don't know how long their service goes, <laughs> but it was it was still going. Uh, maybe we can learn a lesson from that. But uh, as I got to the airport, what I found out was, as I arrived at the spot, they had canceled my spot for my ticket. Or my, I had a ticket, but because I I didn't know what the Ethiopian you know rules are, but if you don't call the day before and confirm that you're really coming then they give your ticket to somebody else and so they did they gave my airplane ticket to go back home to somebody else and I said well then um, can I have another ticket please and he said oh no I'm sorry sir that's very full the plane is very full today so I said okay well I'll go on the next flight he said, oh that will be fine I said, well when's the next flight that would be Tuesday afternoon now this is Sunday and I'm thinking I'm gonna I'm going to be stuck in the Addis Ababa Airport for two days like Tom Hanks in the terminal. What am I going to do? Oh, no. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you know what the Lord spoke to my heart? You know what he said? Dead men don't panic. You died this morning. Don't panic. Just go with the flow and trust me. So I did. I did. I went with the flow. I trusted the Lord, and you know what? Happened? I mean, it, it just worked out beautiful. And and at the very end, I was able to get on the airplane anyhow. I think God was just testing me. out. Well, we are past time. I, but I tell you what. Uh, let's do this. Let's. We need to. We need to sing a response to the Lord about this. And like I said, worship means it can be bowing down. It it means getting your worth from God. It means giving Him. All that he's worth, and, and just describing it to him. It means doing the work, whatever work it needs to be done. And I don't know what that means for you, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. And and right now, instead of checking out, I'm going to ask you to check in. Check in. I mean, there might be some of you need to just come forward and kneel down, to bow down and worship to God. Lord, I'm going to give it all to you. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you need to die yourself. Or maybe you just need to just lift it all up to the Lord that's wherever you're standing. But as we worship in this song, mean it. Mean it with all your heart. Don't, don't just say words. Singing is what you do with your mouth. Worship is what you do with your heart. Do it with your heart. Do it with your heart. Let's worship the Lord together.